You're listening to Real Fiction. I'm Lori Messing-McGarry. Real Fiction Radio is a production of Real Fiction Media Group and airs on WERA 96.7 FM in Arlington, Virginia. On Real Fiction, I speak with journalists, novelists, and changemakers to discuss the real and imaginary forces that fuel stories, reportage, and social impact. All Real Fiction conversations are available wherever you get your podcasts. All episodes are also archived on realfictionradio.com. Today's Real Fiction Spotlight on Ethiopia hits a cross-section of many things we've discussed on this program how news stories are represented, and the real-world implications of misinformation. I'll be back in a moment with today's guest, Mesfine Tegenu. Today on Real Fiction, I want to highlight an underreported story that puts a new spin on the adage, all politics are local. Would you have guessed or known about the connection between Ethiopia and the election for governor in the state of Virginia? As the democratically elected Ethiopian government struggles to contain violence and unrest in the country, Ethiopians in the United States are voicing their disapproval of the Biden administration's foreign policy. They did this on Election Day in Virginia. Now, the state of Virginia and metropolitan Washington, D.C., is home to a large Ethiopian population. In fact, by most accounts, it is the largest in the global diaspora. It is difficult to overstate the geopolitical importance of Ethiopia. Located in the Horn of Africa, it is the second most populous country on the African continent. Post-election narrative of the Virginia governor's race points to the debate over schools and social agenda. But only now is there some acknowledgement about the Ethiopian-American impact in a nationally watched race between Terry McAuliffe and Glenn Youngkin. The global and local response to the crisis in Ethiopia offers insights into how news is shared and consumed over social media, the fragile state of democracy, and how the global Ethiopian diaspora are mobilizing. I am joined today by Mesfine Tegenu. He is the chairman of the American Ethiopian Public Affairs Committee, known as APAC, and is a leading voice in the Ethiopian community in the United States. Joining me to discuss this complicated issue is Mespin Tegenu. Welcome to Real Fiction. Thank you, Laurie. Thank you very much. Now, the country of Ethiopia recently declared a state of emergency. U.S. Secretary of State Blinken has returned from a diplomatic trip in Africa, and American citizens working in Ethiopia have been urged to leave the country. We know that conditions are dangerous across Ethiopia, but I want to take a step back. Looking back to early November, the White House suspended trade benefits with Ethiopia. Is it fair to say that that trade decision 
as well as other policy decisions toward Ethiopia and neighboring Eritrea have not been well received by Ethiopians living in the United States? Yes, it's absolutely fair to say that. The American Ethiopians Public Affairs Committee and the broader diaspora, the American Ethiopian diaspora, very shocked and uh, incredibly disappointed that the President Biden and his administration made a decision that will directly impoverish thousands of Ethiopians. Have These are people who have nothing to do with the conflict, and this action wouldn't do anything to change the direction or impact in any way the conflict, except causing more, more sufferings to those people. Trade benefits were suspended, and then just prior to that, there were sanctions issued against the Ethiopian ally, uh, the government of Eritrea. So this was not a singular incident. This has been a pattern of concerning foreign policy objectives that have been coming out of the White House? Yes, that is what has been going on. The Biden administration have chosen to take a side. We feel the Ethiopian people and the diaspora, the majority of Ethiopians, 110 million of them who live in Ethiopia feel the same way. I I can say that, that the Biden administration has sided with the organization that's, that is attempting to overthrow a democratically elected government is an insurrection is what's happening in Ethiopia at this point. So the sanctions that has been imposed are sanctions that only would impact the Ethiopian government uh, and its ally government of Eritrea uh, who have been both attacked by these insurrectionists. The feeling in the diaspora committees, there hasn't been a balanced approach for whatever reason. Yes, and we're going to touch on the situation that is happening in the northern part of Ethiopia. I first want to get your sense about the election that happened here in the state of Virginia in November. Now, what's interesting is that there was a very clear narrative by both parties about how voters made their decisions. And these election results continue to be analyzed. But there's one issue that I had not considered and I was not aware of until very recently. And that is that the Ethiopian American voters in Virginia, who have traditionally voted for Democratic candidates, reportedly turned out in large numbers for the Republican candidate, Glenn Youngkin, who is now the governor-elect. So it, it is evident that the Ethiopian community had an impact in this race. It was nationally watched. Uh, what can you tell us about the Ethiopian mobilization effort? How did you see it come together in the weeks leading up to the election? Yeah, so the, the American Ethiopians Public Affairs Committee started to reach out to both gubernatorial candidates with sort of uh, questions about what their view on, on the current situation in Ethiopia, with, with full understanding that this is a gubernatorial run, not a national office. The whole attempt was to really get into the President Biden's administration to express and get some, so, some sort of attention to what the Ethiopian Americans were feeling about, about the imbalance the administration has when it comes to the conflict. So this was... An attempt was made, and the attempt included to 
first was to have a town hall individually with each of the gubernatorial candidates to discuss these important matters to the American Ethiopian diaspora living in, in Virginia. And that was not acceptable by both candidates because of what we were told uh, a scheduling conflict. Governor Terry McAuliffe was didn't say a word about anything that we sent him, anything we asked him. He just totally ignored the whole thing. Whereas uh, the Republican candidate, now uh, Governor-elect Glenn Youngkin, promised to expand the state's uh, trade relations with Ethiopia if he were to take office. So, you know, the, the Ethiopian Americans who are pro- prominently uh, democratic voters, actually uh, a recent vote, a recent survey done by People to People showed that 79% of Ethiopian Americans identified themselves as Democrats. So that voter group was has gathered, listened to both candidates. And then at that point, the crowd or the disappointment on uh, of the American Ethiopian voters was so much so that there was a, a protest vote was for sure has taken place. You mentioned that 79% of members of the Ethiopian American community identify as Democrat. So there was a clear shift for the Republican candidate in the race. You know, one of the things I've been very curious about and really wanted to know is what is the approximate number base of Ethiopians in metropolitan Washington? We know, at, at least based on uh, the census, it, it's not backed on, you know, we just have to do a little more research to get first-hand information. But about 300,000 Ethiopians are estimated to be living in D.C., Maryland, Virginia area. Uh, you know, when you see there are 39 churches just in in that area. There are about 150 to 200 restaurants in in the city. In Virginia, an estimate of 75 to 100,000 Ethiopian Americans are are projected to be living. In the global migration, the majority of of migrants have migrated to the Washington, D.C. area. That's the number that I thought was accurate. Um, A report from the Washington Post had targeted that number as much lower. And so I thank you for clarifying that. There's no question that the Ethiopian community has significant business and cultural impact in Virginia and Washington, D.C. You don't have to go very far without finding Ethiopian businesses and restaurants. Uh, It is this significant shift in voting which gives us a perspective about how the community was able to mobilize. Now, the president of Ethiopia, his name is Abiy Ahmed. He's the democratically elected president of the country. And in 2019, he was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize. And this is what the Nobel Committee said about this award. He was awarded the prize for his efforts to achieve peace and international cooperation, and in particular for his decisive initiative to resolve the border conflict with neighboring Eritrea. He's under a lot of pressure, and uh, right now there is narrative spinning on Twitter and other social media platforms. It's coming from many different sides, but I'd like to ask you, what do you want listeners to understand about President Abiy Ahmed and the state of democracy in Ethiopia? Yeah, thank you, Lori. That's a good question. Now, 
for, first, I think what the audience, what I would like the audience to understand is the current government of Ethiopia is legitimate and was democratically elected and therefore should have the support of the U.S. and countries, other countries in the West. Uh, now, the prime minister took power in 2018. Since then, the economy has rapidly grown. He was actually led the country to hold a free election in, on June 2021, uh, this year. And then he was elected. Uh, that was uh, a very decisive vote that the mandate was given to him. So this is an important milestone in the country's democratic journey. And this is really important for people to understand and to respect. Uh, this was this election was observed by international observers, uh, uh, African Union observers, United Nations, all that stuff. So the, the trajectory has been positive. Ethiopia is playing sort of a leading political role in the continent. It's really important to understand that the leadership that's in place has brought in so much value to that end. So it is nobody's perfect. We don't expect perfection at this point. But given the circumstances, given the situation that we are in, at this point, the government in power is doing all what they are asked by the, by the Ethiopian people to do, to keep the integrity of the country and try to establish order in the country and then really fight back this incredible insurgency of the TPLF, which is trying to overthrow a, legitim- a legitimately elected government by power. And just to be clear, for those who are just dipping into the finer points of Ethiopian politics, the TPLF is an organization based in the northern region of Ethiopia called Tigray. Yes, yes, it's the Tigray People's Liberation Front, stationed on the northern, on the region, on the Tigray region, one, one of the regions in Ethiopia. And the TPLF was the ruling party of Ethiopia for, I believe you said, 27 years? Yes. Then this northern region of Tigray, uh, well, it's obviously been the focus of a lot of international media coverage. When I was doing a deep dive into this, it's very challenging to sort through all the narratives in the news accounts and social media posts. How are you getting your news these days? You are right. There are several outlets saying coming up with all kinds of news there is significant misinformation disinformation incredibly coordinated disinformation actually uh, so that being the case uh, we, one we are getting news from the ground so that's one and then there are certain outlets that provide some information you know in general uh, we, we we just wait for the official uh, news that comes out of the Ethiopian government and then there are some few channels, uh, TV channels, that, that usually try to bring in a balanced information. So for the most part, the international media is uh, not help- helpful at this point. Uh, the information that people read on, on major news outlets is very biased, one-sided. So we don't, we, I don't even watch, uh, even stop reading because it's just not very informative. Uh, so that's really how, how we try to get uh, to keep up as much as possible. I'd like to remind listeners that my guest today is Mesfin Tegenu, and we are discussing the Ethiopian-American local and global reaction to the conflict in Ethiopia and how that has shown up in U.S. elections. 
You know, but when I was looking into the broader story here, I found something that really surprised me. And it is consistent with what you have said about the coverage being misrepresented. And it's not very often that you would see a group like Amnesty International, which I think most people would would characterize as a left-leaning organization, although they do a very good job of calling out incidents of violence and human rights abuses around the world. So Amnesty International and Senator Inhofe of the state of Oklahoma, who is arguably one of the most conservative senators, he has characterized TPLF as a terrorist organization, and Amnesty International has said that TPLF is committing crimes against humanity. That is an alignment that I had not expected uh, when I looked into this. So the reason we're having this conversation today is because it does offer some insight into analyzing how news is coming in, how it is being represented, how social media posts can really take flight with narratives that have not been vetted. So as you look at this issue and are obviously frustrated with the kind of coverage that is floating around the world, uh, one question I have is, how are members of the Ethiopian community in the DC area and other cities around the country with ties to the Tigray region, how, are, how is everybody navigating this crisis? Yes, that's a very correct statement. Just to, to get back to your previous point, the misinformation is so much. So I think what we have tried to do in the last maybe four or five months was to reach out to as many mainstream journalists and offer an alternative view as much as we can and then and, and make sure that they, they get a balanced view of the information since so many people read these bigger news outlets. As far as the community is concerned, you know, the Tigray is a region, just one of one state. And then we have been, that's a society that's a totally integrated society. We grew up together, we went to school together, we dormed in, in colleges together, we intermarried. And, and, and so the news is difficult for families and for not only Tigrayan families, but it's the other non-Tigrayan families as well, because, I mean, it's impacting everybody. So it's it's the target is everybody, and the offenders are the Tigray People's Liberation Front, TPLF, the insurgency group, who really care less about anybody but whatever they want to do. So the our brothers and sisters in Tigray region are equally victims of, of uh, this crime. The Ethiopian community is watching this closely and is prepared to speak up when elections come around. What are you focused on in the coming weeks and months ahead in your role with the APAC? You know, APAC's primary goal is to advance U.S. interest in the Horn of Africa with a pro-Ethiopia agenda. So all everything that APAC intends to do is to, you know, bring the U.S. values the human rights, human rights, free, free democracy, free, free market entrepreneurship to that part of the world, and then have an American presence, American, an American influence, in a way that we believe is is a is a twenty first century to a friendship and to a partnership. As part of this process, uh, we are going to also organize. The, uh, the Ethiopian Americans across the United States, uh, especially on on seven or eight swing states, 
and then you know we have educated, we have uh, communicated to to all uh, Ethiopian Americans, friends of Ethiopia, that one not getting involved is not an option. Not voting in, in uh, being is not an option. Not fulfilling our civic responsibilities is not an option anymore. It's not somebody else's business. It's our business to inform, educate our legislators, and so that we understand that our country here would 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 always stay on the right track when it comes to foreign policy, especially when it comes to Ethiopia and the Horn of Africa that that this diaspora came from. We have a long history between the United States and Ethiopia. And we started this conversation. Uh, I said we need to highlight an underreported story that really does put a new spin on the old saying, all politics are local, because this is a global and local issue playing out in the democratic process. This is an opportunity for us to reflect on the fragile state of democracy and the role that Ethiopian American community is playing in the United States. So Mesfin Tegenu, I can't thank you enough for joining Real Fiction today to help us navigate this very complicated issue. Zori, thank you very much for the opportunity and anytime. You've been listening to Real Fiction. I'm Lori Messing-McGarry. My discussion with Mesfin Tegenu gave me an opportunity to reflect on conversations with past guests. In particular, Ethiopian novelist Maza Mengiste, whose fictional work explores the richly nuanced history of Ethiopia during times of conflict. I was also thinking about the conversation with Dr. Paul Miller of Georgetown University, who explained the Biden administration's struggle in handling troop withdrawal in Afghanistan. And finally, I thought about my conversation with journalism professor Dan Kennedy, who addressed why there is so much distrust of media. And he pointed out how often mainstream newsrooms are forced to print retractions when they get the story wrong. On Real Fiction, we will continue to dig into stories to challenge accuracy and bias. All conversations are archived on realfictionradio.com and wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.